we had a few ups and downs and bumps along the pregnancy. There was a time when we thought we'd lost our child. So then you're dealing with sort of completely different format, completely different territory and more the emotional side of it. And that, that format allows for that. It's not something I've come across in other types of nonfiction books. You can get away with playing around with different styles of writing, um, different subjects and things like that. And you've got a sort of much broader tapestry to draw from. And somehow it works. It works in that format. The reader accepts it. And I think that's one of the brilliant ways of, of writing a book through journaling. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Could you write a book through journaling? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Journaling is an approach that I've used to write my current parenting book. Basically, I wrote journal entries about different things that the kids got up to each day or each week. And I consider these journal entries as the first drafts. And then later on, when I was ready to write the book, I took all of the journal entries out of the app that I use, which is called Day One. And I put them all into Scrivener and then I reorganized them and started turning them into chapters and then into a second and third draft. The reason why I did this was a couple of months ago, maybe even a year ago, I took a class on Masterclass by David Sedaris, and he's an American humorist. If you haven't read his work, he's fantastic. I really recommend checking him out. But in the Masterclass, he talks through his writing process, and basically it involves journaling. He sits down at his desk every morning, and he writes a couple of thousand words about what he got up to yesterday. And he doesn't use or publish all of these journal entries, but this is how he publishes his essays and his books. But what I was struck by was when he was writing these essays or journal entries, they were written up like short stories. Like he had dialogue, he had character descriptions, he had scenes, he had all of the five senses. It was almost as if he was writing something uh, that he was going to turn into a novel. So when I saw that, I immediately thought that maybe I could start using journaling as a way to write first drafts and also to write a little bit every day and work on a book and also do other things. I think it's an approach that seems to have worked quite well because if you think about it this way, if you write 300 words in your journal today, Chances are tomorrow you'll feel a bit more comfortable about the topic and go past 300 words and you might write 400 or even 500. And if you do that for an entire week, you know, you'll rack up a couple of thousand words. If you do it for the year, you'll have certainly more than enough for your book or for several books. In this episode, I interview Tom Kreffer. He's the author of Dear Dory, Journal of a Soon-to-be First-Time Dad. And Tom wrote this book initially as a series of journal entries when his partner was expecting their first child. And I wanted to catch up with Tom to see how journaling helped him write a book or a parenting book full of advice and colorful anecdotes for would-be dads. If you enjoy the show, you can, of course, support it by becoming a Patreon. And for just a couple of dollars a month, I'll give you discounts on my writing courses and software. Or alternatively, why not leave a short review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast, or wherever you're listening. More reviews and more ratings will help more people find the show. Now, that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Tom. And I asked him to introduce himself and then to explain how his writing process helped him write the parenting book, Dear Dory. My name's Tom Creffer and I am uh, an accidental author. Um, I was about a third of the way through my first book before I even realised I had a book. Um, and what, what happened was me and my partner were trying to start a family. It'd been almost two years without success. Uh, we went to doctors, they did some tests and they told us that it was probably, we probably weren't going to conceive naturally and that my partner needed to go into hospital for um, a lot of surgery to remove all sorts of pieces that were really important for making babies. and. They also forwarded us, uh, put us forward for IVF, 
So all of that sort of combined together to give me uh, sort of my optimism of becoming a dad, and it wasn't very high. So I think after we were told all that news, within a couple of weeks, she fell pregnant naturally, and that just blew my mind mentally. Uh, I really did not expect to be in that position. So my reaction to that was to write a few lines in my journal, uh, which yeah. I did. And then I did the same thing the next day and then the next day. And I kept up with the process and I did it every day for the duration of pregnancy. And that became my first book. That's fantastic. So I, I journal quite a lot as well. And I've tried to turn journal entries into chapters for, for the book that I'm working on too. So curious, like at what point did you realize that what you had was the makings of a book or of a first draft? I, it was the word count. So I was getting a lot of words on the page. So I think after a few weeks in, I did some rough calculations. I worked out how many words I was getting down. I think it was about 500 a day, how many days we had left for the pregnancy. And then I looked at some book lengths and I thought, oh, maybe I've got a book in me. And I think I worked that out. I want to say about two months into the pregnancy. And then it was, wasn't was to a few months after that. So we're, we're talking sort of midway towards the end of the pregnancy that I thought maybe other people would find this useful. So I, I didn't write it. When, when I decided it was going to be a book, I still hadn't intended to publish it. I hadn't intended to, for other people to buy it or anything like that. It, it, I just saw it as a personal project for me, something to give to my unborn child when they grew up, really. And, and that was it. And did it take long to turn the journal entries into something that you get you could get ready for a book? Uh, drafts two and three were brutal. They were, they were really <laughs> tough. Yeah, because I, I had no writing experience to draw from. So the, the first draft was quite easy, actually which is normally the other way around with books. I, I just sort of yeah. show up each day, write the journal entry, um, and that was it. I didn't edit as I, I went. I didn't do anything. Uh, I had no writing experience to draw on, as I said, to, to sort of work as I go. And then at the end of the first draft, then I had to sort of learn how to write. Um, and that's when I sort of consulted books and, and sort of podcasts and, and blogs and, and tried to sort of speak with other writers and communities and just learn what it takes, really. Um, so drafts, yeah, drafts two and three were, were brutal. The first draft wasn't too bad. Did you show your drafts to anybody at any point? Not until we went for editing. Yeah, yeah. So what did you do to get it ready for an editor? Could you talk through how you got from draft two to draft three to finding an editor? So I, I think I, I did, um, I took about four or five passes myself. Then I, for a bit of nepotism, there was there was a friend of a friend of a friend of a family who's a He's not a copy editor, but he's a, he's like a retired linguistics professor, really knows his stuff. So he, he took a pass and sort of helped shed out all of the rookie errors that I'd made, um, as, as invariably you, you do. Uh, and then I, again, through, through a bit of networking, I was introduced to another editor via a publisher, uh, and he came on board. And from there, it, it sort of started to look more book-like. When I was reading through the book before the interview, one thing that struck me is all of the colour and humour and personal anecdotes did you have a lot of that in the original entries or did you add that polish when you were working on the subsequent drafts that's quite interesting we, we can get into a bit more of the process side of it so that was that was always in there humor is I, I, I just see life through sort of a humorous lens if you will um, I had no idea if the humor would work it's very subjective humor so I, I just tended to be myself let my voice come through and then I, it wasn't until I tested it with test readers that I knew it would land um, but that, that that's one of the great things about the, the sort of journal format so the rules I had was it writes something every day mm. and it has to be linked to pregnancy that was essentially the rule for, for the first book didn't matter what I would write 
and it didn't matter if I take a trip down memory lane, examine scenes from my childhood, and then try and carve out any lessons that I could teach my children when they're older. Or my partner, she might have had some, one of her hormonal pregnant episodes, hurled a ton of abuse at other road users, and I could just write about that, and that, that could be quite <laughs> funny. And that's uh, that, that, that's a brilliant way about the format. You, you don't, yeah. I don't think you can get away with this in, in other types of books. So for one day, for instance, one of the best scenes in the book, the one that people always quote to me, is about trying to get hold of two bedside tables that were being delivered. And mm. the delivery driver couldn't get to us because it was carnival and one of the roads was blocked. That's it. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting as a pitch, but when you add that my partner was pregnant and uh, you add that sort of lens and you put a bit of humour in, uh, then it becomes quite a funny scene. And I wrote that almost as an action scene um, that you read in a fiction book. And then the next day, we had a few ups and downs and bumps along the pregnancy. There was a time when we thought we'd lost our child. So then you're dealing with sort of completely different format, completely different territory and more the emotional side of it. And that, that format allows for that. It's not something I've come across in other types of non-fiction books. You can get away with playing around with different styles of writing, um, different subjects and things like that. And you've got a sort of much broader tapestry to draw from. And somehow it works. It works in that format. The reader accepts it. And I think that's one of the brilliant ways of, of writing a book through journaling. You said in the introduction that you read a lot of parenting books when your partner was pregnant and some of them you got things from and some of them you didn't. What do you feel these types of books do right and wrong for would-be dads? I think a lot of a lot of the pregnancy books there they're sort of after the fact they're retrospective they're written by dads who have had had kids and they've sort of studied pregnancy and then, and then they're they're going back and reflecting very much from a practical side of you this is what to expect first trimester second trimester this is how you install a car seat this is where you should go to buy the baby equipment which, mm. which is great it helps you sort of get your head around the, the whole thing at the start but I, th I think it's missing. I mean, I mean if, you, if you think of your own experiences when becoming a father, it's so much more than just learning how to install a car seat. And I think mm. sometimes that's difficult to convey. It's, it's difficult to convey the empathy of, of what pregnancy is and what becoming a parent is through those type of retrospective commentaries on pregnancy. Um, I, I think that's missing. Um, again, that's that's why I think journaling to write books works well um, because you sort of you add that layer in, if, if you will. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, Tom. And like a lot of the parenting books that I read, I find that they're either aimed at mams, which is understandable. But if there is there if there's anything in it for dads, it tends to be about the practical side of it, like you described. But it doesn't really cover the emotional arc of becoming a dad. It doesn't. And what what I thought going into pregnancy was, I I thought it was just something for the mum to experience. Yeah, and I just got that wrong. That's that's absolutely not true. It's it's a, such a journey for for dads as well. And there's not a lot of literature out there that addresses that in the right way. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. So the book has an unusual title. Would you be able to explain how you came about picking the title for your book? Yeah, so the book's called Dear Dory. Dear Dory is a play on Dear Diary, linking it back to the journal method. I didn't come up with that. Um, my, my mate's wife came up with that. I'm, I'm useless with titles. Uh, Dory is, is what we call Unborn Child. That was the pre-birth name. Dory based on the film Finding Nemo. There's a character in there called Dory who has this catchphrase, Just Keep Swimming which we used a lot for the pregnancy. Just, as I said, I gave a bit of a view on, on sort of the medical issues we had. It took us a while for my partner to get pregnant. And we had a few, we hit a few bumps along the way. So we, we used that saying, just keep swimming uh, to help us get, get through each day towards the pregnancy. 
Uh, and that just became a, a great metaphor for life and it, it just fit in well with the pregnancy. And, and so that became the title. If you were to write another book, are there any lessons that you could apply from this book or anything that you would do differently? Not differently. I, I would I'd be lying. I, none, none of my writing career so far has been strategic. It's, it's all been completely by accident and by a fluke. But there, there were some practices that I developed whilst writing, which I, I would do again and would encourage anyone else writing. So write every day. That, that's probably mm. the, the biggest one. You have to write every day. If you're journaling, one of the benefits of journaling is it forces you to sort of almost write from a subconscious level, a, a bit like free writing. When you free write, you're not even thinking about what you're writing. You're just getting words down on the page uh, and you're seeing what happens. Journaling can be a little bit like free writing, but you can direct it to a subject, if you will. Um, and that's what I would do with with uh, the pregnancy. So do it writing it that way. You're, you're potentially going to unearth topics and feelings and ways of thinking about things that you wouldn't do consciously. But to, to get the most out of that, you should write every day. I, I think that's a good practice for any writer, but that, that's something I have maintained since then. And what, what you can do is you might not always have access to your laptop, but as long as you've got some sort of note-taking app, I, I used to think called Brain Toss, which is pretty good. If I'm out and about, you can take a picture, record an audio memo or write a note, and then it automatically emails that. So I have that set up to email. What's that one called? I, I haven't heard of this app. It's called Brain Toss. Brain toss. Oh, okay. Yes, it's, it's good. I have it set up to send anything to my Evernote account. And yeah. then I use Evernote for note taking. So the point is, 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 I mean, people have all their preferences on note taking, but the, the point is with that is to have some some sort of method of taking a note at any time. And my, my memory is terrible. If I, if I have an idea and I don't write it down, uh, it's, it's probably gone. So that that's something that stays with me sort of throughout my writing process. And then the other thing with journaling to write a book, again, it's, it's something that I've, I've done with my second book and what I'm doing with my third book, all linked to parenthood. Uh, so the, the first one, Dear Dory, is about pregnancy. The second one, Dear Arlo, which will come out this year, that's about um, sort of newborn to one years old and then moving on to the toddler years. So as long as what you're writing about somehow links to your subject, you kind of find yourself in between, you know, the term if you're a plotter or a pantser um, with, yeah. with writers you kind of find yourself in between that. It's, it's kind of a, a unique way, way to write because you're not plotting because you don't know what happens. For, for me, I don't know what's going to happen in my parenthood adventures that day, but <laughs> you, you never know. It's always, yeah. you never know what you're going to get. But at the same time, the fact that you're, you've committed to write about a particular subject. So in my case, for my first book, it was pregnancy. Well, then naturally that, that's almost like a perfect story structure anyway. You could even map it to like the script writing, uh, the hero story. The tri- trimesters for the three arcs. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, three trimesters. You've got your inciting incident is, is your partner getting pregnant. And yeah, yeah. You, the climax is the labor, which is the, <laughs> the most dramatic scene. So it's, it's perfect. It's, yeah. it's a perfect story yeah. structure. So if you were to map that, if anyone was sort of using journaling as a method, if, if you were able to pick a subject that had some sort of natural arc, um, then, then you sort of get away with being a pantser and a plotter because the, the natural arc will, will sort of tie you in plot-wise and then you just, as I said, just show up every day, write about that subject, however that manifests itself within you. You might have a bit of work to do come draft two and three, as I say, when you get to the end and you see what you've got, but it's a unique way of writing a story. And have you written fiction stories in the past or have you always written non-fiction? Uh, I wrote, so I, wrote, I used to write a lot of screenplays in my 20s so I've got some fiction writing experience, uh, yeah. writing films. None of them, fortunately, have made it made it into any films, which is a good thing, having read some of my screenplays from my 20s. Um, so I haven't written fiction yet. I've got a, I, I want to write fiction. I've, I've got two series that I would like to write. I take a lot of notes on them. Uh, it's just 
deciding when when, when I'm going to write them. Mm. I, I'm a new writer. I did already came out a few months ago. I still have a day job. So I'm, I'm fitting in writing books and, and my day job at the moment was sort of transition careers and family. I've got a young boy now. So it's just trying to find the time when to write. But yeah, fiction certainly on the horizon. So you mentioned your next book is called Dear Arlo. Arlo is your son, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, been tough because yeah. I didn't mention we, we didn't find out what we we're having between yeah. Dear Dory, so you don't find out till the end. But now that came out a few months ago, and, and sort of Dear Arlo is going to come out soon. So um, yeah. I, I kind of can't, I can't really get away with not spoiling the, the that. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> are you going to have a, a book for every year? In, until I will, while well, there's something to say, if if the yeah. format runs dry or it's, it's not as interesting or I don't get the same response, then I'll call it a day. But what what I found in sort of the limited experience I've had with parenting is that there's always something to say. There's, there's something there is, always yeah. to say every day. There's, you know, they're constantly giving you great content to write about. Yeah. Today, for instance, um, my boy, he's, he's just starting nursery. And um, so he had his first yeah. settling in day and he did not respond well to being left. So, so there's, there's also, you know, every day there's something new to learn and to observe and to comment on and to reflect on. So it's, it's, it's great. So just to go back to your journey process again, because, because I'm really curious about how you do it. Did you, write up like an entry in the morning or were you writing up an entry in the evening and did you write up entries like about what you thought about what happened or did you write it up as a scene or an element in the story so with the dear dory i would write i was still working so what i would often do is i would often take my laptop and my lunch break and i would write an hour uh, for lunch and then i would always write in the evening um yeah. on the laptop and then i take various notes throughout the day since then though my process has evolved a little bit, partly because of experience, partly because I'm now working from home because of COVID and, and all those restrictions. So I always write in the morning now. I try I try and get up at six o'clock and write from six till nine a.m. And that's a good session. Y- yeah, it, it, I, I normally have a twenty minute break when when my yeah, yeah, wakes yeah. up. That's good. Good, good two and a half hours. Yeah, and that's it, that's a bit brutal because I, I try and get in the zone, no distractions, yeah. no social media. So it's it's deep work. So by the time I have to start my regular job at nine. I, I'm, I feel pretty spent, but it's um, it's the only way way to do it. And in, t- in terms of scenes, again, it, it varies. It depends. You just never know what's going to show up. I, I could be writing about things that have actually happened, or I could be writing more sort of metaphorically about things, um, past events that sort of reveal themselves again in the future. It, it really does vary. And the good thing about it is the journal format allows for that. What will happen is at the end of the year. So I'm going through the editing process of Dear Arlo. The first draft had 125,000 words. Uh, that's been whittled down to 90. So I've thrown a, yeah. a lot out and I'm trying to throw a bit more out. So doing writing books that way, you, you have got a bit of a brutal rewrite process to, to go yeah. through afterwards. But I think if you write so like 300 words a day isn't a lot to write. But if you do that every day, you've, you've got just shy of, I think, 110,000 word manuscript. So again, I, I keep going back to this, but it's all about just showing up each day and writing something. And then at the end of it, you've you pretty much got your, got your manuscript once you read everything out. Yeah, one lesson I learned years ago was rather than trying to write for six hours on Saturday or Sunday or if everyone's gone to bed, if you do what you just described, which is 300 words a day, you know, that's a couple of thousand words a week because chances are you'll go over 300 words because once yeah. you get into the zone, you know, you get a bit more comfortable with going past that word count. That works quite well. So what about the... The journaling tools that you use, have you ever have you used day one or are you using Word or how do you do it? And how do you organize all your entries as well? Uh, so well, I, I use Word. Again, yeah. I, I'm brand new to the game. I haven't had a chance to 
play around with any of the other tools. I just use just use basic header headers in, in Word, organize them on, on, on the fine function. That's it. That's that's literally yeah. it. That's all I use at the moment. Did you what would you use? I used uh, Word first, and then I, because I'm on a Mac, I was using Pages for a long time, which is the Apple equivalent of Word. So just just had a password protected file, and Evernote for for doing what you described of photos. But I actually switched to Day One about two and a half years ago. So it's a purpose built app for journaling, and I think it's fantastic. You can like tag up your entries, and you can add photos, and it's just really good for organizing entries. Because when you, when you said there was 120,000 words. My first thought was that's it would take a while to organize all of those entries and pull stuff out. So, so day one is quite good for that. And it'll even present you with uh, on this day and show you older entries, which is good if you want to go back and pull a story out that you'd forgotten about. Because it's amazing when, you, you know, when you've written that much, how much you forget. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, a lot of my second draft rewrites, um, yeah, I, I, I forget a lot of what's, what's gone out. Which, again, that's a, one of the nice things about the process. Yeah, and I'm also curious, because I'm going through this at the moment, but when you told other people that you had written a book about pregnancy, how did they react? They were interested. They, they were interested to see what it would be like. Um, the, the best reaction I got was people would say something like, oh, it's not actually terrible, which I took as a compliment. <laughs> um, a, a, lot of, a lot of my friends said that. Well, I, I guess they, they thought that they, they felt inclined to sort of be supportive, read it, and, yeah. and, and sort of do, do what you should, should do as a mate. And, and I think a lot of them were generally surprised that it was good. And I, I, that, was, that was great for me. I took that as great feedback, the fact that they were surprised. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the, the, the response has been, has been pretty good. And what type of feedback did your editor give you? I think you mentioned working with a linguistics professor there earlier as well. Was there anything specific that they said that helped? This is so part of my process, which is something I'm going to maintain, is I use two editors, and the linguistics professor he basically will go in and correct and remove all of the rookie mistakes, all of the silly typos that you make, uh, and, yeah. and I, th- I think that's great. And then, and then the second editor, the main copy editor, he's freed up from having to use a lot of headspace from having to do. I, I call it like the labour, the labour work, sort of with all the, the basic typos. And then what he'll do is he almost, even though he's just sort of copy editing, he does quite a lot of uh, content suggestions. He'll challenge me and say, you need to expand here. Um, this doesn't work. A lot of structural feedback, which I find immensely helpful. Um, so I'll, I'll go through all of his suggestions, um, toss out the ones that don't work, but there's not many that, that go out, uh, and then just work through his report. And then after that, I'll go through as many rounds of test reading as possible um, I, I try and get feedback it's very very critical to my process I try and get as much feedback as possible I don't necessarily have to listen to it or agree to it but I try and get in as much as possible because I've never I, I get tons of useful stuff from I, I don't know about your process but um, I, I'm always amazed at how much I've, I've missed opportunities and things like that so I, I try and get as many sets of eyes to give me feedback as possible uh, and then once I've got all that in it'll go through like a final copy edit before, before it's ready for publishing. So is that a third person who's doing that final copy edit? No, it'll be it'll be the main copy editor. So linguistics professor to um, yeah. for the one, and then yeah, the main copy editor. So to, just to go to your beta reader process, what I found with that is it's really helpful to get early readers, but it can be hard to figure out firstly what to ask them to look for, and secondly how to decide what comments to accept and what to reject because it's your manuscript so was there anything specific that you said to earlier beta readers that you wanted them to look out for yeah what what i did is i, I did ask a lot for them they were really good I, I created a horrible excel spreadsheet 
that had every single chapter. Uh, bearing in mind, mine's a journal, so it has a lot of chapters. It, it my chapters are basically days, uh, and then there's a ranking system where they could say they either loved, liked, neutral, didn't like, hated. And then, so that that was quite a, an easy. That's metric. quite methodical. <laughs> it, 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 what, yeah. what I would do is, if, if there was if there was any patterns, like if, if ten people had said this particular chapter is rubbish, then that yeah. gives me a strong indication that I, I might want to consider cutting it. Obviously, I'll I'll give my own thoughts into it. That's sort of a, a data driven approach to taking comments on board. And then I'd also have sort of feedback comments boxes next to all of those. And they just put in suggestions like this joke didn't work or I think we've heard this similar point done a couple of chapters ago. So maybe, maybe I've missed something like that. So it might just give me, help me uh, delete some some sections and sort of thin it out a bit. And then sometimes they just say, I've got an idea. This I think you should write it like this. And maybe it's a good idea or, or maybe it's not. Ultimately, it's, it's my decision. So I, I sort of try and go with my gut. And Tom, is this all in a survey like Google Forms or is it some other way that you gather the feedback? I just sent out an Excel document. Yeah. Okay. And how did you decide who to send it to? Or how did you find people to send it to? So for Dear Dory, one of the things I wanted to find out is if I could market the book to women. I, I wasn't sure if I just offend if I offend pregnant women because it was from a you know bloke's point of view that a lot yeah. of it is spent sort of poking fun at my partner and, and sort of her behavior. So I had no idea if it would offend people. So what I did is I asked I asked parents to find their friends who didn't know me other parents and collect email addresses and, and get their permission and so I had I had a list of, of readers who I'd never met so using other friends of, of friends so that was really useful because then I was able to determine that I, I could in fact actually the, the women were the, the mums were enjoying what they were reading so I was able to market to them and um, so mm. that was that was useful for dear Dory and then for, for dear Arlo I now I don't have a massive audience because I'm still new, but I can at least reach out to them and, and sort of get support that way. So I'll, I'll just I'll just mail out to my mailing list, um, use social media to, and then I just compile a list. And I think what I'll do this time is, is just set up a Facebook group so I can mm. communicate with them. That's the way to do it, yeah. And what stage is Dear Arlo at? It's, it's in pretty good space. It's had the, it's had the first main editorial report, which I'm working through at the moment, and then and then it will move into test reading. But it's it's, it's yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, it's looking it's looking good. Did you find it faster to write than your first book? The rewrites were a lot faster. But yeah, so yeah, so yeah. The, the first draft's always the same because it's always one entry a day. So the yeah. first draft will take a year. But rewrites two and three were a lot quicker than Deodori. I, I was dreading it going into it, but luckily I, I, I'm still not, in a, you know, I'm still new to this, but I'm, I've obviously learned a couple of things. Yeah. And did you whittle down 120,000 words to 90,000 and then give that to your editor or did you go further? So that's no, I, I got rid of most of that myself. Yeah. Um, so some of it, I mean, some of it is, is not everything you write is gold, right? So some of it is an easy, you just press the delete key. Yeah. Um, and then what, what I would do is the chapters that I'm not too sure whether they should be in there or not, I, I just put a, a little CD um, in brackets next to the title, which just means consider deleting for, for me. Um, and then I'll use sort of test reader and editor feedback. So I, I think I highlighted, say, 10 chapters for that went over to the copy editor and I haven't looked at them all yet, but I saw a note that he just said, I've agreed with deleting half of them. Um, so that, that you know, and then, and then I'll, I'll get test readers feedback as well. And that, that will probably help inform what remains and what gets cut. Are there any tactics that are working quite well for promoting your, your first book at the moment? Yeah. One particularly strong tactic, which again, I, it's not strategic at all. But when, when my partner was, giving birth I, I sort of mentally made the decision that i'll make it available to midwives for free 
which I have done. And it wasn't until after that I realized that's a fantastic marketing ploy because midwives deal with my demographic every day for a living. Um, <laughs> but I, it, it just didn't occur to me that I should do that from a marketing standpoint. I was just emotional yeah. from becoming a father. I just thought it'd be a nice thing to do. Um, but, yeah. but now I'm like, so, so I spend a lot of time trying to build relationships with midwives, um, ask them if I can give them a free copy. And then I, I get word of mouth. It's a slow process, but it's it's a great process because you you know you build the relationships. It's more more organic. It's um it's you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, I, I think I read somewhere that for parenting books, it's normally the mom who would buy the book for their partner rather yeah. than the other way around. So I could see how that could work. Tom, it's very nice to talk to you today. Where can people find your book, or where can they read some of your work? So dear Dory's out. You can find that in all the, the usual storefronts, all, all formats, audio paperback hardback um ebook yeah. um i'm you can come see me i'm at my website tomcraffer.com uh, i'm on all the socials instagram tom underscore craffer just type in tom craffer anyway you should my my surname is quite unusual spelled k-r-e-f-f-e-r and uh, yeah come say hi that was great tom thank you thank you I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.